We're supposed to be in the Ten Commandments, but you know what? <clears throat> we're not going to be today. We're, we're going to put a pause. I was planning on it. Got to Monday. I was already fired up, though. Started reading the Word, and it was, it, I had a little funny moment. As last week, we looked at the fifth commandment of do not murder. And then I started reading the commandments again this Monday and kind of planning. I'm like, wait a second. That's not the fifth commandment. That's the sixth commandment. I skipped the fifth commandment, which was honor your father and your mother. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. It was not intentional. As I'm like, wait a second, I just realized I skipped the fifth one. Nobody said anything, though. So either you're all the nicest people in the world and don't want to hurt my fragile feelings, or you're not paying attention. I don't know which one it is. We'll get back to the commandments. We'll go back to the fifth. But honestly, it was like, oh, after Tuesday, <laughs> I was like, nah, we're not talking about the commandments. We're going to talk about the recall election because that'll be fun. <laughs> so we are, in a way, as an intro. To be honest, though, very honest, I, I, I know some people have a, had a rough week. That recall matters. Matter to a lot of people. We, we had a prayer meeting entirely about it on Monday night. We prayed some good prayers. There's a great group of people here, fired up. So many people had a disappointing week. Many felt like, oh, man, we had an opportunity to see California get a fresh start. And we were praying, ugh, praying for godly leadership, praying for a turn and a shift for all these various different reasons. It didn't happen, though. It feels like a setback. Too many. Feels like a loss. Feels like a defeat. A defeat. And there's a temptation when that happens to get passive, or to feel like you know, hey, we gave it a try. We put in good effort. We had a great prayer meeting, but I guess it's just not God's will. So that becomes like a very serious question to me, in the sense of. When, you're, when you are putting in the effort to see a breakthrough and it doesn't happen, what, how do you respond? When you, when you see an apparent setback or even an apparent defeat. So I, I did really start to feel a, a fire in my belly that, hey, we need to go after this on Sunday, put a pause on the, the fifth commandment, and we'll come back to it. So I want to start with two things that are very important to keep in perspective. When you face an apparent setback in your life, a loss, a defeat. One, we go big picture. We know how the story ends. That's always a good place to go, right? God wins. <laughs> There's no question. The kingdom of God will be consummated on earth as it is in heaven. Evil, death, and sin will be completely eradicated. Jesus is the victorious king. Jesus secured all these things through this predestined plan of God, and through his own incarnation into humanity, became fully God, fully human, in the flesh, lived the perfect life that we couldn't, lived the sacrificial, went through the sacrificial and substitutionary death that we wouldn't or couldn't, and then had that awesome, victorious 
bodily resurrection from the grave, proving his power over dominion and dominion over death and hell and sin and evil. So all that's in motion. That's good news. God wins the story of history. History is his story. So we can always go there, and that's important. That can keep our faith levels up. But a number two to that is, but we're still faced with the nitty-gritty of life. And so I want to kind of dig into the scripture today and give us a battle cry. Our job is to never get passive. Is to never give in or accept defeat as God's will. But to keep fighting the good fight to see God's kingdom advance until the day he calls us home or returns and consummates his kingdom. There's a battle cry in that that we've got to keep zealous for. And I love that phrase, fight the good fight. There's at least two places that occurs in the Bible. Timothy, first and second Timothy. The first time we see it in first Timothy, Paul shares it. Paul's the mentor of this young man, this up and coming leader within the church. And this is Paul's charge to him. As for you, O man of God, flee from these things. He's talking about evil temptations. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, that's perseverance, don't give up, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. So that's Paul's charge to Timothy, and it's become very famous for good reason. It is a very appropriate battle cry for every single Christian. We are called with great purpose while we are still on earth to fight the good fight of the faith, and that never stops. And Paul shows us this in the way he's recognizing that his time on earth and he shares a little insight into his own understanding of his life and what is he doing on this earth? What has he been doing? In 2 Timothy 4, he says this, verse 6, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And therefore, and henceforth, there is laid up for me in heaven the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. So his whole self-perception of what he has been doing on earth the last 30 years since his conversion experience is that he was running a race of fighting the good fight. And he knows he's done a good job. (laughs) He's coming to the end. And he can feel in his soul that he gave it everything. He didn't give up. So that's a battle cry. I want to encourage us with God's word today with this battle cry. A battle cry to keep fighting the good fight in whatever sphere or arena God has put you and called you. And we're going to talk about that on Saturday, gentlemen. That's pick your fight. (laughs) What fight has God put you in? And we're going to probably talk about it next Sunday in in an additional way. So Jesus gives us this absolutely critical 
meaning how we see the world, and it fits right in with this whole idea of each and every single one of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been put into the fight. You are called to fight the good fight. Now, we're not all called to fight the good fight in the same exact way. That's where the gifts come in. That's where the body of Christ come in. Not everyone's a hand or a foot or a leg or whatever. We're all meant to find our fight. But we're all meant to fight the good fight. And Jesus describes that whole fight like this in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So my question this morning, is that your view of the world? Is what Jesus is painting a picture of right there, is that your view of what God is doing in the world? Is that your view of evil? See, Jesus paints this picture. There is an enemy, a spiritual enemy that is real and present. Jesus even calls the devil, Satan, the little G, God of this world, the deceiver, the accuser, the liar who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His plan is destruction. And Jesus says, and that's real, but I, but I have come that you may have abundant life, have life to its fullest, experience life in all that God designed you for. So it starts with salvation and then in increasing measure, you can see my kingdom advance in you and through you and well up all the way into eternity. But those are battle lines that have been drawn by Jesus. Those lines invite us to step in with full awareness, a worldview that says life is an absolute spiritual battle. But Jesus is present and he's personal and he's powerful and he came to destroy the works of the devil in our lives and through our lives so that we see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. 1 John 3.8 says this awesome truth. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he's not done. He's still got that same mission. And guess what? Now it's enacted through his church. That's the whole goal. That's the crazy thing. The same author, John, pens in the end of his gospel that Jesus himself said, in the same way the Father sent me, so I send you. So if the Father sent the Son to destroy the works of the devil, guess what? Now he sent you to destroy the works of the devil. Life is serious sometimes. <laughs> there is always a fight. But what we also got to be super careful of is that that fight never gets fatalistic. That we don't unintentionally combine good-hearted desires to honor God's sovereignty with the, the bloody mess of what it looks like in the spiritual battle. Because that can be really dangerous and deflating. So what I mean by that kind of fatalistic notion is that when we look out at the landscape of the world and we see various things about, of evil and yet we give up the fight 
because it looks like it's just going to continue. And we've prayed and we've tried and we've fought and nothing has changed yet. So it looks like, well, I guess this must be God's plan. There is a, a lot of different phrases that can be used in this over-application of God's sovereignty. Like just anytime something bad happens, well, God's sovereign. Or we tried and it didn't work, well, God's in control. And while those phrases have good intentions often, because of course we want to honor Jesus on the throne, and we want to try to bring some type of comfort if someone has experienced a suffering, and that's a very common one, to, to say, oh, well, God's in control or God's sovereign, and, and the, the idea behind it is so no matter something evil is taking place, it's all part of God's plan. But... but We are dangerously close to attributing evil to God. And and we are way, way outside of the worldview that Jesus paints when he's talking about evil. He wants you to get angry at it and fight it and look at it and say, there's the devil and devil, I'm coming after you. And if it's in any way involving stealing, killing, destroying, it is not God's will. And Jesus is going to fight against it until it's destroyed. And therefore my job is to never give up, but to see it and keep fighting the good fight until I see the kingdom of God advance and never give up and say, well, I tried. I guess it's God's will. You know what I'm saying? I know you all, you know, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) If we see everything as part of God's plan, it's very easy to become passive in the face of evil. That's what I'm saying. That's what happened in the 1930s in Germany. In a probably the most Christian nation on the planet at the time, other than the United States. And somehow in the most Christian nation or one of them on the planet, I mean, that's where the Reformation took place, if we don't remember our history. This is a really godly, a nation with incredibly godly roots. The Protestant church doesn't exist without Germany. So they've had incredible moves of God. And so yet in this very Christian nation, a diabolical leader arises to power that commits atrocities straight from the pit of the hell, from the pit of hell. Like, man, it's just nothing but demons can think up this horrible stuff that happened. And the church in Germany sat mostly silent and watched with an over-application of God's sovereignty. Well, the idea is, well, well God appoints all kings and rulers, so what can we really do? It's, it's all part of God's plan. And history looks back in horror, appropriately, in horror at the passivity of the church. It says, where was the church? Oh, we're trusting in God's sovereignty. Hmm. So phrases about God's sovereignty and God's control, though well-meaning, can be utterly dangerous when misapplied or over-applied. If they are applied in a way that is in opposition to the way that Jesus describes how we need to see 
and think about evil in the world and spiritual warfare and human choice, then we've got to, we got to be careful. We got, we got to, we got to nuance our language. We got to think it through. We got to think through the implications because what Jesus has such a contrast. I mean, think about evil in Jesus's day. And what does he say? He taught us to see the world, a worldview as a battle. It's a spiritual battle. The, there is a thief who is real, and he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, in opposition to him, if you're not catching it, but I, I'm not on his team. He's not on God's team. But I am coming to destroy him. See, that's a raging battle. We've got to be aware and sober of that reality. And, and I would say Jesus' best generals best generals on the ground picked up that same level of sober awareness and the fighting mentality where they never settled for evil. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter, a general of Jesus, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's talking to Christians. I've been unfortunately in ministry long enough to watch the devil devour Christians. It's real. Most of the time, they did not come with the sober awareness of the true battle that is taking place. You're not sober about it, you can get eaten. Another key general of Jesus, Paul said it like this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers or this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. All of these verses are painting this picture of a raging battle against evil. And it must be fought. Jesus is fighting it and he's calling us to be on his team and continue to fight it. And the very clear implication is the devil's not on God's team. <laughs> when loss, death, and destruction happen, Jesus says, don't blame God, blame the devil. And I came to destroy him and his works and what he does and give you abundant life. So if a tragic thing happens, we don't give God credit for evil. That's the picture Jesus is painting. I mean, last week we, we talked about abortion in the context of the Ten Commandments and don't murder. So let's say in a law comes up that could end abortion, which we know is on God's heart. We know it. We know that's, that, that's, a, that's a tragic abomination to God. And so a law comes up, let's say, that says, hey, we're going to end all abortion in America and and." So we pray and we vote and we call our representatives. We do everything we can do. And then, then let's say the law doesn't pass and it's still legal. Do we comfort ourselves by saying, well, God's in control. Guess he wanted that for now as part of his plan to violate his own commands and his own nature and his own heart and his own law. No, we have the authority to say that's evil. And if there's a spiritual warfare and there's people that are making decisions that are making rebellious decisions against God and our job is to just stay in the fight and not give up and say, well, guess God wants all of those babies. I don't even want to finish the sentence. You know what I'm saying? 
And that's, that's one example, but you can think of all the other things in this world that are because it frees us up to say God hates that. So when rape happens and murder happens and divorce happens and famine happens and incest and suicide, we never have to sit back and say, well, I guess God's in control. It's all part of his good plan. No, it's not. That's the fallen world. It's the devil who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, just shut up and get in the fight to destroy that stuff. Like, okay? So all these pictures of evil in the New Testament, the, the sense is not... Well, beneath them, God's pulling the strings like a puppet master, and he's just pulling the strings of evil. No, 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 never once. It's always just a picture of the fight is real. Are you ready for it? Get in it. I mean, what's the whole powers and principalities thing that Paul talks about? Why is he saying that? That's all in the context of the armor of God, which is the whole consummation of his book, Ephesians, which is all about an introduction to Christianity. So in a sense, it's all building to this point. Now that you're saved, hallelujah, you're going to heaven. Everything in heaven is yours. That's great. But right now you're in a fight. You better armor up so you can take a stand against all the devil's schemes and all the fiery darts, or else if you don't, you're not going to take a stand? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Peter says you might get devoured. So what's the point? It's all, there, the fight is real. And I love this because it, it, it frees us to just be like, Jesus showed us God is good and only good. God does not want credit for evil. God hates evil. He's against it all the time. And he just says, fight for the goodness of God to be revealed on earth as it is in heaven. And so our marching orders are clear. We never have to be confused. We never have to make agreements with evil. We never have to be passive in the face of evil and think like, oh, I guess God's got a cool plan. He's, you know, unfolding someday. Now, to be clear, because I promised a couple of heresies were going to be in this message. I want to clear those up. I am not saying that God is not sovereign. The way the Bible describes it, I would argue, and we can talk about it later. To be clear, in the meta narrative of Scripture, there is absolutely no question whatsoever that in the grand arc of human history, God is absolutely in control of His plan. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He will take all things and work them according to His purposes, as Ephesians 1 says. And the whole book of Revelation is, is the entire book is about the glorious plan and purpose of God predestined from eternity past that is finally now coming to consummation to God's intended fruition where God has a covenant people. Evil is vanquished once and for all. The kingdom of heaven is consummated on earth. Jesus reigns on the throne. God is present with his people forever. No one, no one can stop that. God's plan will come to pass. So that's where we get these pictures and other verses like this of God's sovereignty. But this is where we need to be able to parse out and nuance Scripture. And, and when, we're, when Jesus is talking about the fight that's real, the nitty-gritty everyday battle that's real, we've got to be careful that we don't take these big-picture promises 
that God's ultimate plan of salvation and redemption and consummation will happen and we don't just over-apply it into every situation because that's where we get things like we start to call evil part of God's plan. So, like, let's take, for example, the, the worship song. I don't remember the exact name of it. I hear it in my head like, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Right? Our God is a lion. Roars from Judah. Something like that. It's a great song. It's about God triumphing. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? That's a cool, you know, that's a good battle cry. That's a good question, though. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Well, I would say the biblical picture is this. In the grand scheme of history, no one. He has no rivals. It's not even close. All the revelation I talked about, Ephesians 1, the whole arc of Scripture. But in my life today, right now, in this moment, who can stop the Lord's Almighty? I can. With a rebellious, disobedient choice, I can quench the spirit like that. And what God wants for my life, the abundant life that Jesus says is God's will for all of us, God's will and God's plan, I can stop that right now with rebellious, disobedient choices of sin. And if I continue sinning, if I take those bad choices and continue sinning, sooner or later, there's destruction all over my life. That is not God's will or plan. Jesus said it himself, right? But there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you see destruction, it's not God's will for their life. God wants abundant life. So he wants me to grow in good fruit. He wants me to grow in peace and hope and love and his authority. He wants me to grow in, in, my, in a healthy marriage. He wants me to grow into a, in an increasingly Christ-like parent. Those things are 100% clear promises from God's word of God's will. Who can stop that? I can. When I give in to temptation once, and I don't ask for prayer, I don't spend time with God and get in his word and remind me, and I just keep going, going, and I've seen it, sadly, to the point where then you look at a life, and that life is in utter destruction and disarray. And that's not a life, oh, oh, well, I mean, did you look at that life? You look at people that just blown up their lives by deliberately choosing sin, and do we say, well, you know, come on, God's in control. That's a life out of control. That's a life out of God's will. That's a life not doing God's will. That's a life not depending on God's revealed will. Not listening to the Spirit, and the result is destruction, is pain, is suffering is that the enemy is having his way in that life. And so that's, that's all over the Bible too. So who can stop the Lord? We have to have a nuanced answer to that. Let me give you one example. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance or reach repentance. Here is a clearly revealed aspect of God's will. God is not willing that any should perish. Or in other words, God's will is that all should be saved because Christ died on the cross for the whole world. So God's will is that all should be saved. But not all are saved. Well, if God's will is that none should perish and God's in control, why is that happening? Because God is not in control in that sense, like the puppet master pulling the strings of every single action that we ever see, that he's given people free will to. So who can stop the Lord? Well, in the macro sense, no one. In this particular sense about salvation, anyone. Because they can reject him. So what does God do in response? The verse says it. He patiently delays his plan and promise of returning and consummating his kingdom in order to give people more time to finally make a decision for Christ. It's crazy. It's right in there. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise because these people are asking like, hey, when's Jesus coming back? We're ready. And the implication is wild that, that God is slowing down the fulfillment of his eternal plan, which he is in complete control of, he's slowing that down because his will is that none would perish. You can add in, but he's not in control of that like puppets. So he's being patient because he wants the gospel to go forth and he wants people to hear the good news. And his spirit is at work drawing people and he is willing, he's longing, he's desiring no one would perish, but all would come to know him. Right in that verse, you see these tensions at play. So in the day-to-day -day actions and decisions of our lives, not Jesus, not Peter, not Paul, or anyone in the New Testament gives us the sense, well, hey, you know what? Don't fight against evil or give up or give in or just kind of let it go because you know what? It's all part of the big plan. Never once. It's the exact opposite spirit of what they teach. They teach us to engage every single act of, ease, of evil as the enemy trespassing on God's territory. And our, God, our, our job is to live out God's will to gird up our loins, put on the armor of God, and go out and fight the good fight to destroy the works of the enemy and take back territory for the kingdom of Jesus. So we got to be careful of that kind of Christian. It's all part of God's plan. That must be how he wants it. And we'll wait till heaven till things get better. Mm -mm. The picture, literal picture of Jesus is no, heaven's waiting for you and me to make things better. By the spirit of God and the power of God, Jesus says, as the father sent me to destroy the works of the enemy, so I send you. That's what Christian mission is. It's the very heart of what mission is about to see the kingdom of God advance to keep fighting the good fight. So our, our prayerful declaration by the instruction of Jesus himself says anytime we face any evil in the world, any brokenness, we do not in any way ever give up or give in. We carry the heartbeat of Jesus who taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, 
but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our battle cry forever. And if you look back in, in human history, and we'll close with this thought, where would the world be if courageous Christians had given up on that battle cry? Sadly, we saw what happened in Germany, one of the most brutal, atrocious things ever to happen in human history. But on the positive note, you can look back into the history of our nation. And I would submit to you that the United States of America would not even exist that if the, if, if the founders had taken on the posture of, well, I guess whoever's in leadership there, you know, by God's choice, so we'll just deal with it. Or even if they had fought a little bit and given up, you know, hey, we're really upset with this. Let's do something. Let's throw some tea into the harbor. So they go out there and you can throw some tea into the harbor. And they pray, and then they, you know, gather back up, and they're like, hey, how'd that go? Nothing. Well, we tried. Let's just get back to our farms. This great country exists because righteous men and women got stirred up and fed up and fired up with the tyrannical oppression of the current leader who, though claiming to have the authority of God, was not doing anything anything remotely near representing God's nature and justice. So these brave colonists got together under the conviction of God, believing in God's character and nature, some very radical ideas that they penned in the Declaration of Independence that God gave everyone certain unalienable rights that were worth fighting for. And so they made an appeal to heaven for the rectitude of their attentions as they rebelled against the earthly ruler, believing it was not God's will. For them to live under such oppression. And here we are. Or you think, where would our country be if other brave heroes, men and women like Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, William Wilberforce, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., if they'd looked around and said, well, these rulers and laws and presidents are, you know, God's put them in charge. I guess it's the way he wants it. Never mind the, the clear and unbiblical and unchristian treatment that, that the African Americans were facing every single day. Well, it must be God's will. God put them in charge. Come on. No, no, no. They take that type of, if any, any, any situation that's evil like that, you take that type of passive, fatalistic approach. Where would we be as a nation? No, it was through each and every one of those brave followers of Jesus, and not ironically, they were all Christians. They put on the armor of God. They got deep into prayer so that they had a fire in their belly of what they knew was the heart of God, what they knew was right, what they knew was good, what they knew was just, what they knew it would look like for the kingdom advance to, of God to advance on earth from the truth of Scripture. And then they were willing to fight the good fight as long as it took, no matter how many times they got defeated. They were willing to oppose the government at times to their face when it was appropriate. And it changed the heart of a nation. It changed the heart of a world. So history is made by those who are willing to catch the heart of God. Let it put a fire in their belly. And no matter how long it takes, no matter how many setbacks there are, no matter how many defeats there are, you never give up. It never changes our mind. We do not give up, we do not give in, we do not surrender to darkness or evil, no matter how pervasive it may be. We, by God's strength, fight the good fight to see the kingdom of God advance on earth as it is in heaven. That is our call 
until he calls us home. And until he calls us home, that's our call. Let's just pray and say, Lord, (laughs) give us the strength. Heavenly Father, we simply ask in the name of Jesus that you heavenly zeal to see your kingdom advance. That you would give us a heavenly fire, an unquenchable fire to fight the good fight in whatever sphere of influence you give us. Dance a new dance like day